1: Our guest today is an astrologer and channel. She went to college and studied archaeology before she found out that the questions she wanted answered were not to be found with the travel. She's always had a strong connection to the metaphysical world, and today we're talking about Earth history with special emphasis on alien intervention, as learned through the Urantia book. Dawn and I work together as readers at the For Heaven's Sake stores in Denver and Lakewood, Colorado. So, And I'm so glad to finally get her on my show and have her here with us. So welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Good, good. So let's start with what is your Urantia book? I've always okay. heard about it and I don't know very much about it.
2: All right. First of all, I don't know if people are going to be able to see this, but I'm taking the Urantia book and I'm holding it up. And the first thing I want you to see about it is it's enormous. This is like yeah, It is a pounds. big book. Yeah. Yeah. This is like <laughs> 10 pounds a book. Yeah. Okay? And it's
1: a paperback.
2: <laughs> but <laughs> um, but Um, The reason that I'm into it is because it's a metaphysical book. And so, you know what I mean? Anything metaphysical really attracts me. But Mm -hmm. also, it speaks a lot about extraterrestrial intervention here on Earth. And so that's the part of this that really got me. And that's why we are talking about it today. But I'm going to start off by saying that Urantia is a word that means Earth. So it's really the Earth book, as written by beings that are not human. Okay, so the authors of this claim to be non-human life forms.
1: Whose hand wrote that? <laughs>
2: okay, or
1: were they this, or were they aliens here on Earth using you know pen and paper?
2: Okay. You know. I'm glad you asked that question because it's an interesting <laughs> story. OK, first of all, um, it has almost 200 chapters and each chapter, which is called a paper, is um, authored by a different being. But here comes the fun part. Most of the chapters were channeled, but the people that channeled it. And this is a group of people known collectively as the Urantia Foundation. They're very secretive about who the actual channeler was. And then, just to make it even more fun, at the end, they said that the last couple chapters weren't actually channeled and written out in the ordinary way. They just appeared. And so, you know, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I'm into. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but when um, when did this, you know, when did you, were your ranch book come about? Okay. You know, I mean is it the last 10 years or
2: No, the Arantia book was published in 1955 and it is the the channeled papers were came through between 1908 and like 1950. So it took a lot of time and a lot of work to take them all and organize them and you know get them published. So yeah. that that is sort of the extremely abbreviated story of where the rancher book came from. <laughs> yeah. But um, I will just say this as well. I don't know if you know this, but the Kellogg family was supposedly big into this. Now, when I say the Kellogg family, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm, I'm talking about Kellogg's cornflakes.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking. cereal people. Okay. Yes. yes.
2: Okay. And these people, the Kellogg family, um, for a while, I don't know if this is still going on and I don't know what's you know happening in modern times. These people used to take in um, orphans that were severely challenged in one way or another. And supposedly one of those orphans was a channel for this book, but it's all under a huge veil of secrecy. I'm just giving you, it could be. Mm -hmm. But if you read the Urantia book, the Urantia book is not light reading. It's heavy. I was just thinking about that. It's just a hard thing to read. Yes, like a person who was challenged couldn't possibly have used the vocabulary, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. that they have in the book. So that's the beginning of the book. That's, you know, where we get started. So- The Urantia book is ginormous and it's divided into four parts. And so I want to make it really clear that I'm only into one of those four parts. So the first two parts of the book are about the universe and how it works And who makes it run? And that is extremely complicated. And it's so complicated, I really don't want to touch that. And then the fourth part of the Urantia book is another incredibly detailed story of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And it, the Urantia book kind of weaves in and out of the Bible a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also is not the part that I'm interested in. I'm interested in part three, which is called the history of the earth. And Mm -hmm. so... I would like to talk about that unless you have any questions before I get going because you know me in real life and you know I can talk forever. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh no, I want to go into the earth part. Okay. The archaeology part of you can come yes. into this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, and I would do want to say that there are groups all over the country and probably all over the world that get together and study this this book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is pretty widespread.
2: And most of those groups have a very spiritual slash religious idea, and Mm -hmm. that's not where I'm going with it. I'm not going into this for spirituality or religion. I'm going into this for straight out history, which Mm -hmm. is what I'm into. Okay, so... The Urantia book starts off, I have to laugh because this is so, the Urantia book being incredibly thorough. It starts off with the sun belched out, you know, a cloud of material. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, we are just starting from the absolute beginning here. And so our earth, you know what I mean? A molten swarm of, of, you know what I mean? Dust and stuff. cooled, Mm -hmm. And then it went through enormous amounts of time epochs of being in different forms you know it was like frozen solid for a while it was a mass of erupting volcanoes for a while um all kinds of things before the the earth cooled down and just kind of chilled out enough to support any kind of life and then of course there was an amazing amount of period time where tiny little, you know, just the beginning organisms of life grew. And so it was aeons and aeons and aeons after the earth was created that our species arose. And I'm just going to, to make it really simple, call us human beings, even though I could divide that into many categories. I'm just going to call us human beings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) So here's what happened. Human beings developed on earth. And when I say that, I am saying that they start the human story with the first people that develop sentience. And so I am going to, again, oversimplify that concept and just call it self-awareness. So finally, after all this time, a species arose and it was self-aware and it was our long ago ancestors. And the Orangia book is very clear that this happened just about 1 million years ago. Now, I'm saying this-
1: Raw, you know, like you just kind of they came here, or they they developed, no, no, no. or we, how we, did they? Not, we get nobody here.
2: came here yet.
1: Yeah, we're but just how did going how it. did human beings from those little bugs? How
2: did we get to human beings? Does it happen in there or evolution? And I'm okay. talking about an amazing amount of evolution. You know, mm-hmm. one cell being, two cell beings, three cell okay. beings fish, fish that crawled on the earth. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. More
2: mammals. And then finally primates, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So I'm, I'm, I don't mean to avoid your question. I'm just going to skip. No, no, that tells me. The answer not know. eight hour answer. Right. That's I didn't know
1: quite how that happened, you know, from the bug to the human being. How did we do that? <laughs> amazing amounts
2: of time is yeah. what I'm going to say, okay. and an environment that was finally nonviolent enough to sustain it. Mm-hmm. You know, a good air supply, lots of vegetation that made oxygen, um, less volcanic eruptions, less meteorite impacts, just chill. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, good. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> so our the human species became sentient, and here we it are- We
1: self-aware.
2: That's what I'm calling it. And if you have a better um, definition of that, please feel free to say Mm it. I don't. Thank you. (laughs) 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 Okay. So what happened on that time period where we went from being an animal, not self-aware, to a human, self-aware? Okay. Okay. Um, the first thing that happened is the very first, and they get it, the Urantia book gets it down to the absolute first two individuals. And what they did was they ran away because they realized that the rest of the tribe they were living with was not self-aware. And they said, we're different. We need to do something different. So they ran away far, far away, many days journey, and they started their own colony of self-aware beings, which were mostly people that stood upright. So even though their mother and father, you know, could Stand upright, they didn't most of the time. So a big improvement. We're standing upright. We're still sleeping in trees, but we're standing upright. Okay. So how did we live? You gotta understand this had to have happened in a tropical climate because it just couldn't, you know, you can't go from um, you know. Living in trees to building houses with fireplaces. There there has to be a long progression. So these people still climbed every night to get away from predators. They climbed up into trees and made themselves nests. So they were safe and they developed villages and they started living in caves. And then not a lot happened for 500,000 years. So if you can imagine this. People lived and died in exactly the same way for half a million years. So the people, and when I say the people, I'm using that word very lightly, who are in charge in the center of the galaxy said, you know, these people need some help. And so they sent out what is called the first intervention and that is there is no other way of saying this that's a group of extraterrestrial beings that came set up shop on earth and tried to help us out now i am going to digress from this just a little bit and i'm going to say that according to the urantia book and this is the part that i'm not all that familiar with um every single planet in the galaxy gets, I'm going to say for lack of a better term, a charter when it's time for sentient life to start evolving there. And a group is assigned to it to help it advance. Um, Ours was, I think, a little late in coming because I really think that the original people that um, you know, we're watching our world. I really thought think they thought we would make a little more progress in five hundred thousand years, but <laughs> we were just living and dying the same old way. Mm-hmm. So we got <laughs> <Chill>. <laughs> yes. When the first intervention intervention comes. It is headed by a being that is called either a son of God or a creator son. Now, I'm not going to go into a deep description of what that is, because honestly, it's kind of over my head. But you know, when you and I talk about things that I describe as intra-terrestrials, like you understand angels, right? Mm -hmm. And we also know that it's not like there's one kind of angel. There are all different kinds of angels. You know what I mean. There are little cute, ser- you know, cherubim and seraphim, and and then there are gigantic angels that are called, you know, uh, victories and <laughs> you mm-hmm. know things like that. These beings. Are way above and beyond them, and when I say that, I mean larger physically, but also older and go further back in the history of all that is. And that's not where I'm going today, because to be honest with you, I'd say that's a little over my pay grade. <laughs> okay. okay. So, anyways, <laughs> how
1: come? La- how come we got such advanced people? Where we?
2: Everybody gets such advanced. Oh, people okay. Okay. Because it. Creating worlds is not the stuff of beginners. <laughs> okay. Taking a planet. <laughs> And putting sentient life on it and having that life bloom and grow, this is not beginner stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you another interesting thing that the Urantia book tells us is that of all the planets, and just as an example, in our section of the galaxy, not the whole galaxy, just our section of the galaxy, there are supposedly 10 million inhabited planets. So you can see this is an extremely large operation. Mm -hmm. But of all of the planets that have sentient life on them, one out of every 10 is called an experimental world. And guess what? We are (laughs) (laughs) an experimental world. And also we are very far as planets go. We're very far from the center of the galaxy, which is where um, the administration is so it we are disadvantaged in more than one way we are to some extent my teacher called michael calls us country cousins you know what i mean because we're so far out in the boonies okay mm-hmm. so the first intervention arrives so it is one of these very high sons okay and he brings with him a staff so i want to explain to you what the staff are because this is very interesting they rounded up somehow, and th- uh, this is one of the things about the rancher book, they don't tell you everything, they leave you guessing, you know, it's like they give you just enough to go well wait a minute, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, they rounded up a 100 of what they considered to be the highest and best people of earth. And they asked them to donate. I'm going to call it DNA. That's not what the Urantia book calls it. I'm going to say that just to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And then they took this material. And when I say they, the people that live in the center of the galaxy and run things, mm-hmm. and they created bodies. So I'm going to say that this was kind of some kind of a combination of cloning And using the material that they had from the humans on Earth, but also using other material that they have in the center of the galaxy. And so they created 100 magnificent bodies that were, for all intents and purposes, human, except they were improved, And as one example, now, um, because, you know, I studied archaeology, human beings a million years ago were very small. You know, I would say you were doing really well if you had somebody five feet tall. okay? And these 100 artificially creative bodies arrived and they were eight feet tall or maybe a little higher. So I think that part of the way they were designed was dressed to impress. They wanted to be- <laughs> So it was deliberate,
1: not a misprint.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So the prince arrives. Okay. And when I say that, I call him the prince because the leader for each world is called the planetary prince. That's just what they call him. Um, I don't think there's any real royalty, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. involved there. And he brings with him these 100 cloned bodies- And each one of these cloned bodies held a soul that had been through life experiences, but all on different worlds, because they wanted a diverse group, okay? Mm -hmm. So they also recruited the 100 people that had donated DNA, okay? So we've got the humans, and we have the clone people, and we have the prince. And then we had, if you can even wrap your head around this idea, a million angels. And I am, I'm guessing on that because I'm going to say it's more like at least a million angels angelics, And that's all the Urantia book tells you. It doesn't tell you which um, species or phylum they were. So it's another one of those things you can just speculate about while you're reading the Urantia book. Okay. So this group arrives and they find that they are living in a violent and primitive world, even though it's beautiful, there are a lot of what I call apex predators running around. So the first thing they had to do, so even though, you know, the angels, They don't need structures to live in. And the planetary prince was not, you know what I mean, worried about being attacked or eaten by a lion. But the hundred staff members were. So the first thing that they had to do was make a home for themselves out of Earth materials that was safe. And they did this by they created a wall that was 40 feet high. And not only did it surround the village where they lived, they made it so that it surrounded all their agricultural land and the pastures where they had livestock living. So this was just a humongous undertaking. And it took hundreds of years to build this. So I want to say right off the bat, whenever you're building an enormous wall that's 40 feet high, there's got to be some remnants of that left. And I believe there are. And so I, who love looking at, you know, pictures of, you know, that are taken from space, you know, aerial photography, I love looking over the Middle East and looking for these things. And I do believe remnants of them exist. Okay. So on to my story here. So they finally get the wall around the city. They can start just focusing on their mission, which is to help or you know uplift the human race. So the original staff of 100 people is divided into 10 groups. And each
1: group- I have to ask them. a weird question. Do they live a normal lifespan- or no. Okay. Do they Great long question?
2: Okay. <laughs> These original hundred people, which they are referred to in the rancho book as the staff, the cloned people. Okay. Mm-hmm. They have got extra systems within their body that allow them to live indefinitely as long as they get the shrub. Of a, you know what I mean? This certain tree that came mm-hmm. along with them, and it is, of course, it's called the Tree of Life. And okay. so I'm glad like you asked. The power because, base, huh? um, no? It's the magic elixir.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I
2: mean? That 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 the special, tree of life. <laughs> yes, that special <laughs> yeah. magical thing that will make you live forever. Unfortunately, it doesn't work on us regular humans. It only <laughs> works on people that have the systems that can, you know, absorb it, and we don't mm-hmm. have. That. Okay. So the 10 groups, okay. We've got 10 groups of really practically immortal giants that are living on the earth. So like one group is teaching people how to grow crops because people don't grow crops. Okay. And another people is teaching them how to herd animals. And another group is teaching them how to trade. And another group is teaching them how to read and write. And a big part of this was just to teaching people about sanitation you know you will live longer and be better if you a big thing was burying their waste or burning it because people weren't doing it at that time now when i say at that time this was 500,000 years ago so humans became sentient approximately me a million years ago 500,000 years ago the prince and his staff arrive and then They build this gigantic city. Now, I do want to say that where they arrived, and I've been trying very hard to figure this out, you know, ever since I got the Urantia book, they don't tell you the exact location, but you know it is somewhere on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. So it's warm. Why do you say that though? Because that's what the the Urantia Oh, book says. Okay. Without, you know, they don't give you latitude and longitude. You can't right, go right, exactly right. where it is. And in the past 500,000 years, the earth shifts constantly. That's another thing. It makes our world hard. Is for okay. For instance, the Urantia book talks about life on another world. And on another world, the original place that the very first people that it came is still operating. You know, ours is underwater <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because the earth is such a volatile place. This is is not a place for you know people who are easily scared. The earth, you know, is a big, exciting, challenging place to live a series of incarnations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these people are, you know, eight feet or or taller. Okay, they are exceedingly telepathic, they can communicate with each other without actually talking and they can do this for a distance of I think it's like 10 miles although I really should go and check and they can influence the people around them telepathically without being obvious about it you know what I mean they can they can yeah. draw someone to them without this person going gee an alien is telling me to walk over there you know what I mean they can <laughs> yeah, just yeah. go I have a strong feeling I should go in this direction mm-hmm. so they have this magnificent walled city somewhere in the Middle East, and they start trying to befriend the tribes that are immediately around them. Well, you know what I mean? You're four and a half feet tall and an eight foot giant comes out and goes, hi, I want to be friends without even opening his mouth.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) What are you going (laughs) to do? I wouldn't come out of that that
1: walled city.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't like people just strolled up, knocked on the door and they opened it and went, hey, come on in, you know. You had to be vetted to even get into the city and walk around and see what was going on. So they had a fair amount of people that were, um, you know, the beginning of, where they're working a lot on spirituality, just getting people to stop killing each other and be nice and come on in the city and look at, at what we have and they saw the first There's stone buildings and brick buildings and structures where people lived and worked and, you know, they weren't living in caves and huts. And so um, a real idea of a modern city was presented to ancient people and it took really a lot of getting used to. And also there were a lot of predators, but there were also other animals present there that are no longer with us 500,000 years later. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get the picture, okay? We have got the big people and we have the little people. We are the little people. You
1: know what? And before we go into the next part, I'm going to take a break here. We'll be right back to talk with Dawn Barker on the Rancher book.
0: One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them get the help you need today visit a view through the unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the voice america empowerment channel join host barb crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil going just beyond our five senses now you can see things with an entirely different point of view Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Hi, and we're back with Dawn Barker, and we're talking about the Urantia book, and she's given us the history of the Earth. And we have just come to the point where the giants. And the little people, I'll call them the little people, are starting to come together. I hated to interrupt her, but I had to. So let's go back to that point. Thank you. Thank you very
2: <laughs> much. Okay, so we have this giant city in this primitive world, and it's garnering you know, interest, but not as fast, not on the scale that these very advanced people wanted it to be. And they were starting to get discouraged. Mm -hmm. And at this same time, a higher level being named Lucifer and his assistant named Satan said, you know what? We're bound up in the rules, too many rules. We need more freedom in working with planets. And so... Our planetary prince, who was named Caligastia, you might be familiar with that name if you're a big Bible reader, said, heck with it, I'm with these guys, and they joined what was known as the Rebellion, and that was really massively uncool with the people in the center of the universe, and they were like going, no, no, you got to stick to the rule book. Yeah, I know it's going slowly, but... It's going to work out in the end. And these people said, no, we can do this better. We can do this faster. And this is what in the Bible is known as the fall. And what it tells us extremely clearly is we, the human beings of Earth, never fell because we had nowhere to go we're at the bottom of the bucket you can't fall when you're already on the ground it was these <laughs> higher level beings that fell and it was the fall was actually a rebellion it's presented as oh they didn't believe in god anymore and i really don't think that's what it was but far be it for me to try to second guess a a, a being that, that is that much more advanced than i am okay so Here's what happened. There is a gigantic split. And I'm not going to say it was a 50-50 split, but a whole bunch of people said, yes, I'm with the rebellion, including the staff. And a whole bunch of people went, no. No, you know what I mean? I'm sticking with the tried and true method. Now, at that time that this happened, the city they created called Dalamacia was 300,000 years old. Now, you can imagine, I think, Barb, if you were working on a project and you had been doing it for 300,000 years and you didn't see a lot of projects progress, I, you know, you could definitely say, hey, we got to do something different. And so you can always feel a little sympathy with these people that fell, but not everyone did fall. So most of the staff that did not fall was literally taken back to the center of the galaxy. And there was one guy who said, I'm not going. And his name was Van. And he is known as the immortal Van. And if you look just like, you know, at Maps of the Middle East and stuff. You see Lake Van and stuff like that, that um, Van is very much remembered um, for the great progress that he did. So, anyways, the prince who remained in power and the people that worked with him said, We're going to give the human race a new rule book. And the new rules were instead of love everybody you know work on your agriculture burn your garbage now it was like individual freedom you know you are you are a unique individual you are free do what you want and it caused disaster Chaos. because yeah the people at that time had no idea what to do with a great deal of personal freedom, because the history of our beginning as a species is not the history of democracy. (laughs) (laughs) It is the history of totalitarian rule. You had a chief, he was in charge. You did what he said. You know what I mean? Period. That was it all over the world. Mm -hmm. So um, all kinds of revolutions popped up and, Um, much, Caligastia being much behind it, inspired the the more primitive tribes of the world, and they completely destroyed the city. And so, less than 200 years after the rebellion started, um, everybody who was, you know, older and wiser fled from the city, and it was destroyed. And then, finally, it it, um, sunk under the ocean. A tidal wave came and just took it out. But... The people that were living there that were considered the immortals because they had this, I'm going to call it shrub or bush, whatever you want to call it, the Mm -hmm. tree of life, um, they got cut off from it when they they left the city, and Van got a hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Van was like, "I got it." And guess what? I've he got the power. At. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so a lot of the the remainder of the staff, and even the hundred humans that were also immortal because of this, um, they got cut off from it. And so uh, there was just a humongous. Degradation and Caligastia inspired tribes to war against each other, and the situation really was bad. But just to make it a little bit more interesting, okay, so when the revolution started, Calagastia had 60 of the staff on his side. Now, these people had lived for 300,000 years, and I'm not saying they didn't date, (laughs) but they did not have children. Calagastia immediately said, okay, guys, we need people, you know what I mean? It is time to start meeting and having children, and so they did, but their children did not have the circuits that they had that allowed them to live forever, that, but they still lived longer lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, their lifetimes got shorter and shorter and shorter until they normalized with us. The I'm going to call us the regular humans. Mm-hmm. So Van, however, still has the shrub. And so Van and his group did not lose their immortality, and they lived for over 150,000 years. And so this gives rise to all kinds of, you know, ancient myths and legends that that gods walk the earth. I mean, what would you think if you ran into somebody that was eight feet tall and had been living for 150,000 years? I think that pretty much qualifies for, you know, divine status, especially in a, you know, in a less advanced civilization. Mm -hmm. So, Even in
1: advanced civilization, (laughs) you'd be calling them a god.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So um, we were kind of stuck in the middle. We, the human population, were stuck in the middle. But what happened was everything that had been collected, all knowledge up to that point, was lost. Then we'd start again, and there'd be a war, and it would be lost. And then we'd start again, and there'd be another war, and it would be lost. And so having our planetary leaders go through this fall – caused us terrible hardship and so there are other worlds that are approximately our age but they are much more advanced than us because Mm -hmm. they didn't have these problems so okay back to our story the people that run the universe that live on and i'm gonna i as i say i use the word people very lightly they decided uh uh-oh you know problems on urantia also called earth um, uh, Earth need help. So while they were pondering what to do, they did something that seems very cruel in retrospect, and that is they cut Earth. And Earth wasn't the only planet. There was a group of planets that fell. And this group of planets that fell was um, supposedly in our area of space. Now, I try to study our area of space and I can't see what 38 planets they're talking about because to, to, to them, the people that live in the center of the galaxy, the concept of space is so different than ours that they considered us a group of planets. We were cut off from what they call the universal circuits. So imagine so not only, you know what I mean, did all this other stuff happen, but then they lost their internet connection as well. And so everybody here on Talk
1: Earth, about losing faith in Earth, huh? You.
2: <laughs> There was, everybody complains that in the Arantia book, that the beings that come here just feel a tremendous sense of isolation. And that when you are raised in planets that are closer to the center of our galaxy, there's just so much more interaction. And it definitely sounds like high technology interaction. They watch broadcasts, they communicate with people on other planets and bump. it all got cut off here on earth. And so they didn't, completely abandon us. But I must say to them, a short period of time is like a hundred thousand years. And to me, it is not. So here we are suffering away on earth when finally the powers that be said, okay, we need a second intervention. Let's send two more people to and depose Caligastia as the leader. And let's try this again. And those two people were called Adam and Eve. And so, once again, we get two people coming in. They have, same deal, cloned bodies that are made with a little bit of earth material and a whole lot of stuff from the center of the galaxy. And they also have a staff, although it's murkier who their staff were, okay? And they come, they're not terribly...
1: Did they bring the staff with them or did they kind of grab
2: some of the leftovers here from what i can understand somebody came here got dna samples from humans went back to the center of galaxy created the bodies and brought them here i think but Mm -hmm. i'm not positive because that's one of those things they don't make everything crystal clear in the original yeah
1: yeah So so they did what they did originally
2: Yes yeah. okay yes um only Adam and Eve did not bring a staff of a hundred it was just Adam and Eve and then they say other staff members God yeah, only knows those what that other means. staff
1: yeah that's what right. I was
2: questioning Or right. they? they
1: cloned and they the definitely
2: power? brought you know. other beings with them whether we can even see them or not. I have no clue. But Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve arrive and good old Van, remember Van from Dalamacia? Okay. Van is still (laughs) around. Okay. And Van is doing everything that he can to save the light, the spiritual light, and just the ideas of don't kill another person just because, you know what I mean, they walk through and bury your refuge and brush your teeth and you know what I mean, be happy. (laughs) And um, so Van gets it that these people are coming because Van is still very much in in contact with the intraterrestrials, And by that, I mean the angels and other high beings that-
1: So Van's in the loop.
2: Yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, And Van gets it that somebody's coming. So Van gets this message and then they don't show up for a hundred years. Again, you know what I mean? I don't know if you have any friends like me that are waiting for the next coming. It's like- (laughs) Any day now, like what we think of as 10 minutes, they think of as 100 years. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. They have a completely different idea of time. All right. Right. So Van says, hey, somebody really cool is coming. Let's make a place for them. So he finds a landmass where people are living. And how they explain it is it's a peninsula sticking out of the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. And he goes there and he says, oh, this place is perfect. You know, we got plants. We got animals. It's beautiful. It's got water. Yeah. <laughs> And the first thing he does, and I just have to laugh at this is how, you know, the Rancher book does is they made a 27 mile wall to wall it off from the mainland so that lions, tigers, bears and other humans couldn't get in. Can you imagine right now if someone just said, "Okay, we need a wall that's 27 miles by 40 feet. How the hell would you do that? Never mind. I don't know.
1: I think they're trying to do that, though. (laughs) 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 I think, you know, the southern border. Yeah. <laughs> they are not doing think, too well.
2: <laughs> I don't think the wall that we're building is forty feet high. But oh, I know don't know, I mean? not at I all. I don't really know. Yeah. Okay, so they they get a, a enormous group, and when I say an enormous group, I think three thousand people recruited, and they all had to be volunteers. And they it, it ended up after eighty five years, people just started quitting and marching off, going they're never coming, and I can totally understand that. Yeah. And Van would be. Yes, they are. Let's just get some more recruits over here. And so they built this magnificent compound with beautiful homes and fields and pastures. And because... Adam and Eve, the two people that came, when they lived in the center of the universe, they were mostly interested in plants. They were great plant biologists. Mm -hmm. That's what they were. Their big mission here was to try to set up agriculture as the basis rather than just straight hunting because um, the Orangian book also says, it's all nice to think that there was anybody vegetarian before Adam and Eve got here. And that's a complete myth. People ate meat. That was the basis of their diet. And it was usually raw. And it was very little plant plant material consumed Mm -hmm. until the time of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve arrive and they arrive to this compound that is beautiful, that has 3000 worker bees there for them, where they have a beautiful home that's sized to their large size. And they have, they said like thousands of miles of paths through the garden. I mean, everything was just absolutely beautiful and stunning. And this is how they started to try to take over power on earth and get the human race back on track. Well, Guess what happened, okay? First of all, <laughs> Caligastia was deposed from power, but he was not removed. So he still had influence. Now the Urantia book tries to make it clear, he couldn't go in and he couldn't change people. He couldn't take a good person and make it into a bad person, but he could definitely stoke the flames of bad people and it had already caused many wars and the, you know, the complete loss of the gathered information of the human population. Another thing that Adam and Eve did, which was completely different from the original staff, is immediately Adam and Eve started procreating and having as many children as they can. And they tried to pop out at least one child a year. And um, I must say, Adam, and Eve, that was the time before childbirth was a painful thing. And they called these children the violet race, a different race of beings than us regular humans. So they were bigger, they were taller. And this is where traits such as blonde hair, blue eyes, and green eyes were in, um, arrived on the earth. Now, the plan was that. These people who were called ra- racial uplifters, they were supposed to bear an enormous amount of children. And when I say that, not by themselves, the children grew up, they had children, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So a huge population Populating. was supposed to be created. And at the time that Eden would have reached 500,000 people, then the gates were supposed to be opened, and these people were supposed to go out and mingle, and I say that in a procreative way, with the peoples of Earth, so that this race, the violet race, would spread the gifts of its bloodline through all the people. Now, when I say the gifts of its bloodline, taller, stronger, but most important, having all kinds of antibodies against disease diseases these people were not as sick as regular human beings they got over colds faster they didn't get the flu you know what i mean yeah, things like yeah. that that was the plan okay however we've got Caligastia. so Caligastia comes knocks on the door and Caligastia would say i need to talk to adam and Eve," and they would let him in you know what i mean because he was one of the big people you know <laughs> you didn't just say when a son of god comes to you you don't go i'm busy <laughs> 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 and so Even though Adam and Eve, again, had a rule book that they were supposed to carefully follow, which was don't start intermixing, and I mean that in a procreation way, with the humans until you've got a group of 500,000. Well, Caligastia starts working on Eve, you know what I mean? Mm. And he gets, (laughs) not himself, but he sends really hot guys, okay, that are the descendants of the prince's original staff. So they're big, tall, handsome people. They're not immortal anymore because, you know, for the past 150,000 years, these people have been, and these um, people are listed in the Bible as the nodites, N-O-D-I-T-E-S, because the original staff member that was their leader was called Nod, Mm N-O-D. And um, so I'm going to let you read the story yourself because it's so good. But Eve was tempted and she was presented. The idea is give us one of these children of mixed race. Give us, in other words, the, the, the advantages of the purple race and we'll be on your side and help you. And so Eve was like, you know, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. Nobody, you know, seemed to have a problem with it. And so Eve was seduced. She became pregnant with a mixed raised child. And all hell broke loose. The people in the center (laughs) of the galaxy that didn't live here had no clue, weren't cut off, didn't know how hard it was, didn't have lions chasing them. They went, what? Boom. Your, Your mission has failed. And they cut Adam and Eve off and they took the bush away. So once again, bush is gone. Their immortality waned. And then a group of these people, remember I told you they had a large staff of just ordinary humans, and these people found out that Eve had been seduced, and they went ballistic and they went out there and they slaughtered an entire village. Another war was started, Adam and Eve had to pack up and run from the Garden of Eden for their lives. And it was just such a tragedy, and they were they were pretty much surrounded by I'm going to say hostile earlier humans, but they made it out. I mean, they still had some advanced technology with them, and so they are marching away to another site. They're deciding we're going to start again, we're going to go to a new place, and we're going to create a God, second.
1: These are optimistic people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mostly, these were not human people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. <laughs> and so they get this huge caravan, and they're marching away to another place, which is the um, Tigris and Euphrates River. You've probably heard of that section of the world. And they're on their way, and all of a sudden, all these spaceships just appear mm, and start landing. And they're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Now they had been on the Earth for over a hundred years, and so by this time, they had something like six. 1600 descendants between their children and children of children. And the the center of the galaxy, you know, it takes them a 100,000 years to incarnate somebody here. But when they want to take somebody off, boom, you know, they can get there within a year. And <laughs> yeah. so they said, Adam and Eve, you are in default. And so we are taking everybody, all their children had a choice. You can come with us Back to the center of the galaxy and live in, you know, peace and splendor and luxury, or you can stay here on this wretched planet and hope for the best. And three-quarters of their children got on transports and left. Of course, Adam and Mm -hmm. Eve were not offered that option, and it truly was a tragedy. So they get stripped off of like three quarters of their numbers now and everybody's grieving and they continue and they finally get to the Tigris and Euphrates river. And I mean, as if everything else wasn't bad enough, it's flooded. (laughs) They have to (laughs) wait six weeks before they can even get between the rivers because they're looking for some kind of natural barriers. I mean, you don't have a 40 foot wall anymore. You have to have something. And they started from scratch and They built what is called the Second Eden, but um, there was always kind of a sense of despair among the older residents there as they remembered what life was like in the first garden. So Adam and Eve defaulted, but it wasn't a complete default. They received messages from the center of the galaxy, and they basically said, we get you blew it, but you didn't do it deliberately. Like the people that fell from Dalmatia they did it deliberately. They had a choice. They thought about it and they were like, yeah, we're going that way. You know, Adam mm-hmm. and Eve honestly thought they were doing what was right and what was for the best. And so they were promised, you know what I mean? Immortal life, that mm-hmm. it was their life. They were not going to be, you know what I mean? Punished or anything badly, except they that weren't
1: they completely it. cut off then.
2: Right. They yeah. uh, they lost their immortality. They lost their act, act access to the bush, <laughs> yeah. but they weren't like, you know, no subject com- to, com- to com- eternal yeah. damnation because frankly, yeah. there is no eternal damnation. Okay. So they scratched out a second beginning. They made a second Eden. And um, I don't know how much time we have in, you know, as I said, I can Actually, talk. Actually, we
1: have, I was a little worried about this. Um, we have about four minutes that we have to four to five minutes to bring the human race up. to
2: <laughs> <laughs> And I am leaving out a lot of interesting details because I mm-hmm. want people to be reading this book. All right. So Adam and Eve start again. And. Adam and Eve live to be, even without the bush, they live to be about 500 years old. So they have another 400 years on earth and they continue having children that are the violet race. Mm -hmm. And although they didn't get a buildup of 500,000 before they started mixing, they did start mixing. And so the center that they started, Eden, in the Middle East, near the Tigris, where the Tigris and Euphrates met. At that time, doesn't mean that's where it is now. They started a center uh, of um, civilization that went on for 30,000 years. And slowly but surely, they started the practice of sending emissaries out specifically, okay, you've been trained here, and now you're going to go spend your life in the wilds of so-and-so and intermix with the population. So the violet blood did get distributed almost everywhere, a just- took a lot longer, and we have a smaller percentage of it than people that have this happen on luckier planets. Like, mm-hmm. it would be cool if we were all 50% violet bread, then we'd never get sick, and we'd be really tall and <laughs> live a lot longer. <laughs> but we've got some, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You and I both have blue eyes, you know what I mean? We've got some because there were no blue eyes before that right, time. Right. So, Everything, the, here's how I'm going to end the story. Okay. Uh-huh. Everything is just, you know what I mean, struggling along so bad. And there are several more chapters, but finally, the big. Gigantic intelligent creature that created the whole galaxy said, This planet is such a mess. I personally have to go there and help them. <laughs> and so this planet was chosen to house the incarnation of this magnificent soul, which is so not human, not angelic, just way up there. And that person came as Jesus Christ and actually took on a robe of flesh and lived in this world just to show everybody I am not for not forgotten. These people have not forgotten this world. And even this poor damaged world is going to be uplifted. And so the way I think of this world and life on this world is this is the toughest world in the entire galaxy and those of us who are here it, it's not a you know it's not bad luck or you drew an unlucky straw to get here <laughs> the people that came here wanted the toughest school in the entire galaxy and we got it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
1: oh um the human race obviously a little on the slow side, <laughs> to put it you know charitably you and know. short yeah and and um, how much of the violet race is still in people now on Earth?
2: From what I understand,
1: and we only if have like really looking, and you yeah. have
2: a big amount. You have seven or eight percent, and if you're not so lucky, you have three or four percent. But. I am, I, I I certainly am not sure. And I would love to I would love it if you'd really interview someone from the Urantia Foundation and they like knew these these exact measurements. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I actually love the story so far. But Thank we you. are gonna have to close. And I okay. want you, you to tell everybody where to get hold of you and where to get hold of more information about this.
2: Okay. You can either buy And I'm telling you, this book is like ten pounds And we'll we'll put put the
1: picture of your rancher book up.
2: Yes. This book is so heavy. I find it like just hard to, my arms get tired holding it. So-
1: Is on any audible?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can go to UrantiaFoundation.org and the entire text is on there free of charge. Or you can do what I do and I just got it on my Kindle app. (laughs) I love the Kindle app. I love it. It knows where you are and everything. And um, so I paid a modest fee for it because I want to support the Urantia Foundation. So Mm. that is where- where you can get more information on the ranch book
1: and where can we get hold of you how does somebody okay. get hold of you
2: you can get hold of me at for heaven's sake in lakewood colorado and um you can go to the for heaven's sake web page and go to readers and you can and see that has
1: me. one s in it one s thank you Not two. thank you very
2: much <laughs> okay and then i'm going to i um I know this is silly. I'm just holding up my card. Okay. You mm-hmm. can get in touch with me. I am Dawn New Age, two Ns at AOL.com. <laughs>
1: I thought that's yes. wrong. <laughs> Dawn New
2: Age. Yes. Okay.
1: Good. Perfect. Yes, that's me. Okay, great. Dawn, thank you so much. That was fascinating. Boy, talk about doing the history of the world within an hour. That was good. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much for being on. And uh, maybe we'll take the second half of the human race next time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. All right. Have thanks. A wonderful day. Thank you. And have a great weekend. Thanks, thanks. Dawn.
2: Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.